You've tuned in to Sci-Fi Fidelity, Episode 49, The Order. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. It's Mike and Dave with you once again talking about yet another supernatural show. We've been kind of away from science fiction for a while, Dave, here. The Order is lots of magic, not in the same way as the witch shows that we've been doing, but it's really got a formula that looks like it's derivative and is definitely not. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, obviously our roots are in sci-fi. This podcast is called Sci-Fi Fidelity, but it's just difficult to ignore these really intriguing shows that seem to be popping up, uh, especially on Netflix these days. And this one is kind of near and dear to our hearts from the people that are involved behind the scenes. I mean, obviously this is filmed in Vancouver, but it's also produced by Nomad Pictures, which produces Van Helsing. It put out Ghost Wars. And there's some people also that were involved from that production company on Continuum, which is how we got our start in podcasting. And one of the executive producers on the order is also a member of the Continuum Writers Room. So that also drew us to it. Right. And you're, of course, referring to Shelley Erickson, who also wrote seven episodes for Continuum. Uh, the show was co-created with Dennis Heaton. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, sci-fi's Ghost Wars, and they've put together a season of 10 episodes, which dropped on Netflix March 7th, 2019. And Mike, you know, it seems as if each week we're breaking our two episode rule. And yeah, that's it, true. Well, it's Netflix. That's why. All right. And if you're new to the podcast, what, what Michael and I have sort of settled on doing is looking at the first two episodes of a new series to really give you guys a sense of what it's like. And then you can decide whether or not you want to move forward. So uh, I'm sure some of you are listening to the podcast, having seen the entire season. And, and that's great. But this time we're actually just going to be also talking about, I guess, three episodes because we needed to get the werewolves in there, right? Yes, we're going to talk about the first three episodes. So let's go ahead and get right to it because the general premise, and they really lay out a lot of subplots in the first three episodes, but I guess the, the central core plot element revolves around Jack Morton, who has set his sights on gaining acceptance to Belgrave University and ultimately acceptance into the secret hermetic order of the Blue Rose. And what we come to learn is that this is merely the first step in a five-year plan to exact revenge on his father, Edward Coventry, whom he blames for his mother's suicide. And at the beginning, it's just uh, he killed his mother. And, you know, slowly we we learn it's not quite that simple and may not even be true for all we know. Right. And it isn't even 100 percent Jack's plan anyway. It's his grandfather's plan because his mother, his grandfather's daughter, was the one that was killed. And they both are seeking revenge. But I get the sense that the grandfather is the one that's steering the ship. And, of course, Dave's going to go over some of the characters here as part of the premise as well. And then we will hit the spoiler zone button. Hopefully if you are listening this far, you are maybe being enticed to watch the show, but we'll also share some nitty gritty after the spoiler zone begins for those of you who have seen the show. Right. So let's bring up Jack Morton. 
class of 2023 at Belgrave University, and he's played by Jake Manley, who you might know from Heroes Reborn or I, Zombie, unfortunately two shows that I don't watch. Alyssa Drake, played by Sarah Gray from Legends of Tomorrow, and they're sort of the two protagonists. Would you say that's fair? Oh, yeah. And the thing is, it centers around or it anchors itself, really, with the chemistry between these two, which is spot on. I mean, you got to give them big credit for bringing these two together. Right. And and the chemistry, though, with his grandfather, Peter Morton, who he refers to as Pops, played by Matt Frewer. What a perfect casting choice. Uh, <laughs> well, when he's you- a genre uh royalty at this oh point, yes right? <laughs> we know him from the librarians dr leaky in orphan black he was also in timeless and he plays his character like he plays so many of his character that he's not a good guy but it's hard to hate him yeah that's right and it's funny too because you would think that it would come across as the same character each time but it is pretty unique this character feels different feels like a kind of a nutty conspiracy theorist type guy Right. And there's a lot that he clearly knows that he has not articulated yet, maybe to Jack as well as the audience. And and certainly that's a compelling aspect of the story at this point. For sure. Now, the other character that I really love is Dean Vera Stone, played by Catherine Isabel, who was in Hannibal. And a show that's not genre, but I love it, the arrangement with Lexa Doig, and that's the way they should build it the arrangement with Lexa Doig. <laughs> we only watch it because Lexa is exactly. It? <laughs> uh, and then Edward Coventry, who is Jack's father and supposedly drove his mother to suicide. And then professor Clark. And I'm watching it the whole time. It's like, where do I know this guy from? <laughs> yeah. Well, isn't it funny that here we have a show that includes werewolves in addition to magic users and Sam Trammell, who plays professor Clark was a shapeshifter in true blood. Right. Yes. So that's kind of in the same vein. <laughs> right. So in terms of characters, we'll, we'll go ahead and leave it there for now. I think we've hit on the main characters. I mean, I guess we could include Randall, who uh, is Jack's resident assistant in, in the dorm. I like including him for another reason, too. We just had Brittany Curran on the podcast last week for The Magicians. And <laughs> those people who watch that show couldn't help but notice that Randall is played by the same actor that plays Todd in the magicians and it feels like almost the exact same character. So I thought that was a nice little touch. Okay. All right. Well, why don't we go ahead and enter the spoiler zone? So if you are not up on the show, you probably should go ahead and watch the first three episodes and then come back to the podcast. You are now entering the spoiler zone. All right, Mike, let's talk about subplot one, which is really at the core, and that's this plan to avenge the death of Jack's mother. And we learn that his father, at first we think, oh, is his father in prison? Uh, Why is he (laughs) living with his grandfather? And, you know, there's this vague sense of what really happened there. But the overarching theme that Maybe I'm reading this in and it's not really there, but do you get the sense that his mother may have been a practitioner of magic? I don't know. That's a good question. And maybe I didn't pay close enough attention, but certainly there's the idea that the father is involved in magic somehow because that's why he needs to join the order. But yeah, maybe the mother too. Yeah, because part of the five-year plan is for Jack to 
gain an invitation into the order. And as it turns out, his father is apparently the head of the order, right? He's the grand magus. Right. And does Jack know that going in? Certainly his grandfather seems to know it. Yeah, I feel like they know it. They've done their research. And I love that board that comes out, you know, because they don't spell it out all for you right at once. The five-year plan comes out later and you're like, oh, wow, okay, I see. This isn't just about getting into the university because, you know, it was touch and go there. The The letter of rejection came through until Vera kind of magicked it <laughs> into uh, an acceptance letter. And I like how Jack doesn't even react. He's like, oh. I'm in. I got accepted after all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's the thing about his grandfather. He he sees the ability to use magic as a way to get back at Jack's father. And again, for me, I'm at first assuming, all right, we're going to use magic and do something bad to him. But obviously, as the story unfolds and we see that his father is at the center of the order and a magic practitioner himself, things get a little bit more complicated. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. I don't know if they knew that already, but certainly the fact that they knew anything at all, because this order is very secretive and are clearly able to erase the memory of anyone they encounter that they don't want to know about them. Right, which is another fascinating subplot that we'll get to in in a little bit. But I guess I, I still wonder how much Pops really knows about the order, because it, it seems as we go along and, and Jack is I think getting the sense as well that pops is holding out some information on him. And, you know, as you said at the top of the discussion, the grandfather is all in on this revenge plot. Jack, while he may have been in at the beginning and and maybe he was in, you know, it sounded good on paper, but now that I'm into it, maybe this is not what I want to do. Yeah. Cause he starts to see the whole culture of it the people who are participating in it and how he could use it to do some good in the world versus, you know, just going after vengeance. Right. Now subplot number two involves Jack's initiation into the order of the blue rose. And as you mentioned at first, he's rejected to Belgrave. And then of course uh, the Dean magics it into an acceptance letter. And at first he gets rejected by the order of the blue rose, but then that ends up, working out in his favor but i love the meet cute scene with Alyssa drake who is oh, yeah. the tour leader oh that is the best use of meet cute i've heard in a while so yes i agree <laughs> and she's doing the tour jack's part of the group and almost immediately he starts correcting her he starts <laughs> adding a lot of relevant information that clearly she's leaving out and in fact he says something one time and you see her looking down at her notes because clearly she's not prepared all that much because she figures nobody really cares they just (laughs) want to get this tour it's probably required get it over with let me get back to my door yeah it's it's sets up the chemistry very nicely from the very start exactly but we also though get a sense that belgrave hall for instance has been haunted by multiple ghosts over the year we hear about the screaming lady but it's that mention of a secret society and the rumors of a hidden basement that catch not only our attention but jack's as well right and of course Alyssa, we find out later but but she does have a little bit of indication on her face that 
how does he know these things? He's not supposed to know these things. And she's trying to play it cool. Right. Now, why Chancellor Stone has become such a supporter of Jack's acceptance as an order candidate isn't immediately clear. Yeah, that's true. And again, I go back to what do we know about his mother? Clearly, we know about his father. We assume that Dean Stone knows that Jack's father is at the head of the order. Well, no, I don't know, because I think uh, certainly that's not a well-known fact that Jack is related in any way to Edward Coventry. (laughs) In fact, Edward himself doesn't find that out until the finale. So, Well, okay, that's true. Now, (laughs) in terms of invitation into the Blue Order secret society, uh, obviously we've got some sort of a trial, some sort of an initiation, and seven are summoned three will be selected. And there's a lot of plot details in these episodes that are really apropos for what's going on in the real world with the college scandal involving parents (laughs) paying to have their kids accepted. And and that works out a little bit here, but at least one of the seven is a legacy and assumes that he's automatically going to be taken into the society, you know, leaving only two open spots. And, and of course, that's not exactly the way things work out. Well, it's interesting, too, that they just initially, as soon as Jack gets to the campus, some fraternity tries to bring him on as a pledge. They see how ridiculous it is for them to be holding candles and wearing robes. And then they immediately go into the orders initiation, which is just as much hazing as the as the Greek system. So I found that interesting that they set up this ridiculous example. And somehow, I don't know how it works, but the initiation process for these pledges or these novices, I guess they're called neophytes, sorry, neophytes is not ridiculous, doesn't come across as ridiculous, even though it should. Interestingly. Yeah. And, and, you know, he's immediately given a task Well, all seven are given a task. And Jack is, of course, the the, the one that solves it. And, and, you know, there's a little bit of conflict there, but you know, the judges rule in his favor. But from the start, it's clear that Kyle, who is one of the members of the society already, why does he have it out for Jack? I mean, is it that he sees the chemistry with Alyssa? I don't know. Well, see, that's the thing about the beginning of this series. I was not a huge fan of the pilot and I thought it had some really cheesy interactions. I didn't really care for how trite the college kids, the popular kids didn't like the new guy, the townie. I mean, you know, that's pretty much a very formulaic way of approaching it, but it just gets so good later that I don't know that I have an explanation for why Kyle hates Jack so much because I don't know that there is a, a really good narrative reason for it. It just is expected of the situation. Yeah. And it's something that continues. And and of course, eventually there's good reason for Kyle to dislike him because (laughs) of his relationship with Alyssa. But Jack follows him to Belgrave Hall and and I love, you know, the camera zooms in established 1687 and I'm thinking like, all right, that's kind of at the height of the Salem witch trials and, and all those sorts of things that are going on in the States at that time. He 
enters, investigates, and of course finds a hidden door. And again, you might say, okay, that's he just happens to find it, knows to look for it, but. <laughs> Well, this is another show, just like Doom Patrol that we just talked about recently. It really follows the three-episode rule that we say that all shows should be given that amount of time to grow into themselves before you judge them. Right. Because this episode really gets good by three. Right. And I guess what saves that scene for me is what he finds on the other side of the hidden door. And it's this well-appointed lounge. He <laughs> observes the Dean and others conducting a magic ritual using a dead girl's eyeball. And, you know, the whole idea, and I forget what sci-fi show it's from. You might remember, but trying to recover memories from a dead guy. Yeah. <laughs> Usually they hook into his brain, but, you know, hooking into the optic nerve. I think we've seen that before. And okay, that's kind of cool in a gross kind of way. So, <laughs> yeah. But we also encounter a golem. And all right, not necessarily part of Jack's initiation, but it turns out that way. And after he takes care of it, he's invited in. Everybody removes their masks. And, and of course, one of them is his dad. Now, he recognizes his dad or does he see? I mean, that's the thing. When we go back to his grandfather's, I don't know what to call it. We always call it a murder board, but um, you <laughs> know, investigation board, investigation board. So he knows they're after Edward Coventry and I assume he recognizes him as his dad, but his dad doesn't know that he exists. Right. Yeah. They, they recognize him right away for sure. It was something that was burned into his memory, if not from childhood from the board itself. Right. So this was supposed to be his weapon against his dad, this ability to use magic. And here he finds out that his dad is now his boss as a member of the Blue Rose Society. So, yeah, that's kind of cool. Right. And I think you mentioned the Gollum and the werewolves, of course, too. I felt that that was a kind of interesting misdirect. I'm not sure if it was successful or not. I, I think it was for the most part, because the werewolf attacks were also going on simultaneously with the Gollum attacks. And I think the one that he caught up with just happened to be the Gollum that was picking off recruits so that the legacy or the person who wasn't necessarily doing as well on his own merits could get in. His mother was sending the Gollum around, correct? Right. And, and as you said, uh, I guess we'll probably end up repeating it several times. If you only go by the pilot. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're going to be disappointed, and, and I certainly have you to thank to get me to keep going. I, I like the pilot, but episodes two and three really start pushing the show in, in another direction that is certainly not something that I expected. And subplot three, the werewolf situation, well, wait, wait a minute, I thought we were talking about <laughs> a bunch of college kids learning magic. Right, and I love this because... If you had told me you're going to love this show because of the werewolves, I'd be like, you're, you're high. <laughs> it's yeah. not going to happen. <laughs> but right. that, that's my favorite part. The werewolves are my favorite part of this show. Right. And one of the first incidents with the werewolf that we, that we are presented is when Kyle sets up Jack to get him to drop out of not only the uh, initiation process, but probably drop out of Belgrave University as well. But a werewolf appears and we don't know the significance at this point. And we're not even sure 
it's a werewolf. But obviously, as we learn more through the first three episodes, oh, okay. <laughs> That's now he's got a friend for a while, Amir, and <laughs> yeah, they find one of the other initiates, Dre, badly wounded. And she dies before help can arrive. And of course, the question at that point is not who killed her, but what killed her. But Jack goes home to granddad. And I guess he assumed that granddad lives fairly close to campus. Yeah, they're townies, as they say. Okay, so he's uh, dropping in on granddad to help figure out what the monster might be. And, you know, after Jack describes the gruesome scene, granddad doesn't bat an eye. Sounds like you got yourself a werewolf problem. (laughs) Yeah, that's a very interesting thing about Pops is that he blithely accepts magic and they keep themselves so secret, even from their own potential initiates, that it seems strange that Pops would be so accepting and know so much. Well, and that's what I love about his storyline is that he knows so much more than he's let on. Or that he should. <laughs> or, that, or that he should. Now, Jack starts assembling werewolf-killing weapons. We're fresh out of silver bullets, Kyle tells his granddad, who hands him a shotgun. It's okay. I know a guy. <laughs> I love that, too. It's like there's so many good parts about the development of the show that, in, in terms of the humor. Like even the silver bullets work to kill werewolves? Duh, they're bullets. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> I think the girl right. said. Lilith says that at one point. Right. So, you know, so Jack's going after... At this point, it's just some sort of a beast, and he runs into Alyssa, who's obviously doing the same thing. Unfortunately, Amir didn't heed Jack's warning fast enough, and he's now hanging bloody and dead in a tree. And I guess a lot of these scenes could be a lot more gruesome than they are. I think they've they've hit on the right amount of blood and gore. Well, especially since they kind of took me down the same path that Dark did initially, where I thought it was going to be a horror show, you know, picking people off one by one and the monster in the woods. That's not what it's about. In fact, that only lasts during the uh, exposition of this first season of the series. Well, before we go too much further, why don't we take a break? And when we return, we'll see what happens when Jack enters that old abandoned house and what it is he finds inside. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Yeah, once he gets into the abandoned house and, and you know, there's a 
a werewolf apparently inside the house. He opens that chest and some sort of fur pelt attacks him. And at first, okay, what the hell is going on here? I know. Isn't that funny? That It seems so cheesy that werewolves would be created by pelts in a chest. But as they developed this idea of these basically spirits of named wolves choosing who wears their mantle is just awesome. I just love that. that right. You know, a different person is chosen generation to generation to be silverback or to be midnight or, to, or whoever. I love that. Right. And this, everything changes in episode three. And, you know, as you said, he's now wearing silverbacks mantle and we learn that there is a rival secret society, the Knights of St. Christopher. Jack is now a werewolf. And we learn that his R.A. Randall and two other werewolves are trying to bring him into their fold. Right. And that's funny, too, because Randall had been helping him. And Jack was pleasantly surprised that he believed him on all the different magical causes of things that he was discussing and, and took it at face value. He said, man, this Randall guy's a good guy. Well, that's because he's a werewolf and knows all about magic. And that was a nice little twist on it. Not to mention the fact that calling them the Knights of St. Christopher makes them sound very holy. And for the werewolves to suddenly become the good guys, because you knew the magicians were a little bit sketchy anyway, but it's a really cool way to put it on its head by making the beast be the uh the hero of sorts or the arbiter of justice right and, and when randall and uh gosh what are the other two uh, hamish and lilith are trying to explain to him uh, that he's a werewolf and he, he's of course skeptical and then he barfs up the remnants of the deer he <laughs> ate the night before so i thought that was pretty cool yeah some of the best dialogue that's in this show is the humorous dialogue it's it's not cheesy it's not corny it's just spot on yeah. And I guess as the episode is going on, we learn that Jack's got a new problem and that is controlling his wolf. And, you know, we see him get things under control by the end of episode three. But the other cool thing is that these werewolves are the sworn enemies of the order. They call themselves the defender of the innocent. And they now know that Jack is in the order and again, did I read this wrong? It seems the werewolves are magic cops. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and it's interesting, too, that they don't just accept it and bring him in and then that's it. There's a lot of internal strife. The very distinct personalities between Hamish and Lilith and Randall. And Randall's the only one that sees the opportunity here to have an inside man with the enemy. Right. And while magic cops may not be as cool as time cops... <laughs> it's pretty close. Yeah, pretty close. Uh, the fact that they sense when magic is being used is is pretty cool. Now, we mentioned the golem, and as a subplot, I think it's probably here and now gone, and I doubt whether we'll revisit it. Uh, so you think. Okay. <laughs> How far did you get in this series? Uh, only episode three. Oh, yeah. Golem goes all the way through. So okay. ha happy to report that that character, Clay, is amazing and deserves to be in season two, if there is one. <laughs> and what a great name for a golem play. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, we get the requisite out of focus camera shots from the killer's perspective as it's tracking its prey. And, and at this point, he's still with Alyssa as they're tracking down whatever it is that's out there killing other students. 
And Alyssa shows some restraint. And I love when Jack says, well, why didn't you just magic that thing? (laughs) She's not that skilled yet. Yeah, yeah. So while she's not a neophyte like he is, she's not that high up on the pecking order. And again, I forget that they like somewhere in my notes, I have have all kinds of different titles for the different levels. Yeah, right. And we're starting to put two and two together why these other pledges are being killed. And it's, of course, so Gregory doesn't have the competition. I I heard a term on TV today. Uh, We've always talked about helicopter parents (laughs) hovering the new term is bulldozer parents. They just plow away all the obstacles for their kids. That's Gregory's mom. <laughs> exactly. So Clay, who is Jack's roommate, and, and we know him, of course, from Travelers. Oh, right. He was the, the actor. Uh, historian, right? You're right. Um, I think his name was Kyle in that show. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. Okay. Uh, of course, part of what we've got to figure out here is who created the Gollum and that will lead us to, you know, the person that's killing and, and figure out, you know, why they're doing the killing. And of course, it's simply so her son can get in, uh, Margaret Crane, that is. And she's in a very fulfilling scene is is basically taken away. Her son's taken away. And all right, score one for the good guys. Now, one of the other subplots, and on the one hand, I've got it fairly far down in our discussion, but it's something that's I'm sure going to work its way through the entire season. And that's Jack and Alyssa's relationship, both personal and professional, because as you said, the sexual tension is immediately established when we see that scene during the tour of the campus. And then once he learns, and it doesn't take him again, long to figure out that she is in the society, even though she denies it, but there's a lot of electricity between the two of those. And, and again, not in an off-putting way. Well, especially since I, I put in my uh, spoiler-free review, which I had to crank out pretty quickly for Den of Geek. I only had seen, I think, the first three episodes at that point. And I had commented on, they're not rushing things. They're not immediately putting these two together. There's some flirtations going back and forth, but it's just kind of building the chemistry. And then I think, of course, by episode four or five, they actually are <laughs> much more intimate. But it does still go back and forth all season long. I think they just played this relationship perfectly so that it wasn't just kind of a relationship drama heavy plot line. It just was very enticing, very believable. And I think a huge amount of the credit for that has to go to Alyssa, the actress who plays Alyssa, because she was just really good at hiding her attraction. And then when she turned away from Jack the camera would show her kind of reacting to his hotness. (laughs) I thought that was really well done. Right. And and there's so many hints that she gives. We don't know whether or not she's doing that on her own. Was she instructed by the Dean to help him out? Uh, You know, through the first three, we don't really get to know that. And, And then of course, in episode three, she tells Jack that she's now his tutor. Now, one of the other ideas that comes up, and you mentioned this a few minutes ago, is the altering of perception and memory. And this is hugely important for the season as a whole. So is this something that the order is orchestrating? Yeah. Yeah. It's usually used for getting rid of pledges that didn't make it. So if a neophyte fails the test, you blow some magic dust on them. They forget all about magic. They go about their college life as a regular student. Right. And and this is part of the respondio incantation, I assume. 
Yeah, it's 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 a very interesting thing because at first, and I think uh, there's been some discussion about this on our Facebook group, where this might have been a little bit too powerful of a tool that could easily have been used at any point to you know further the cause of whoever, evil or good. And in fact, I, I guess I'll just go ahead and mention that the way it's used in the finale, which I, I guess I won't spoil that in case people haven't gotten that far, but the way it's used in the finale is a little bit tricky for me. I don't know that I loved how simple that magic dust was <laughs> to, to use to set someone back to square one. Well, through the third episode, I guess what is really intriguing for me is the fact that grandfather, once he learns that they can, well, Jack tells him they can change the way people remember things. So now Jack's attitude about the revenge plot has clearly changed. Is that a result of something that's been done? So that that's got to be in his granddad's head at this point. Oh yeah, for sure. And and I like that there's a questioning of what's real and what's not real in that sense, but it's not overplayed, but it does make you wonder. Right. And then finally, I think any good magic show is going to examine what happens when magic is misused and, and certainly any good magic college. I'm not a big uh, Harry Potter fan. I assume that they instructed those kids in the, uh, proper use of magic but that whole idea using magic has consequences and when pops chokes on a cookie when jack uses magic to get him off his case again i think it really hits the nail on the head for jack and and maybe even opens his eyes to how much power really is at stake here that's interesting too because his fellow neophytes don't know what they're playing with. They found out this, these secret spells that can help them cheat on exams and get free money and all that kind of stuff. And Jack does use it, like you said, and realize that there are costs to using magic that way. But at the same time, his use of these simple spells helps him control the werewolf. He just casts the, the money-making spell over and over again as a way to practice his impulses where each time magic is used, the wolf wants to come out. So I thought that was a nice dual use for the uh, misuse of magic. Right. And it has been noted that his wardrobe has improved considerably as have the contents of his dorm room. But (laughs) yeah, uh, that's right. um, Anything else you want to add to the discussion? No, I, I mainly wanted to squeeze in my, couched reaction to the finale since I just saw it earlier today (laughs) and wanted to uh, just say they really set up a nice setup for season two. So I don't want to give the impression that I didn't like the ending. It's just that some of the things that were played with in terms of the magic dust, the memory dust, I don't know. I don't know. Might've been a little bit too overplayed, but I'm anxious to see if this show gets renewed. I think it did gain a fair amount of following with almost no publicity, you know, for this show. Yeah. That, that I think it did gain a following. If only we could get ratings from Netflix, we would know, but. Uh, Right. I was just going to say, there's just no way to tell other than social media. And that's difficult to tell. But uh, if you're into magic, if you like the magicians, I think it's worth your time to check out at least the first three episodes of the order, which is currently on Netflix. Eminently bingeable, too, if you wanted yep. to go that route. So, all right, Michael, what do we got up next? Well, next we're headed into April with a discussion of 
genre anthology shows because in anticipation of Jordan Peele's The Twilight Zone revival, which is going to be a topic on the podcast, we've got Love, Death and Robots on Netflix, which is an anthology animation series. So we're going to take a look at genre anthology shows, both past and present to prepare for our discussion of The Twilight Zone. And hopefully our listeners will also participate on the Facebook group by sharing with us their favorite genre anthology shows. Just check out the Facebook group when that discussion thread comes up and share us your favorites. And Dave and I are each going to pick three to, to discuss for a discussion topic next week. But that's not until next Sunday. So that's going to be it for this episode of Sci-Fi Fidelity. Keep the discussion going on social media. You can follow Den of Geek on Twitter and Facebook at Den of Geek US. And we are at Sci-Fi Fidelity. And in the meantime, we'd love it if you could rate and review this podcast wherever you access it. Be sure to send us your suggestions for future topics on social media or in an email to sci-fi fidelity at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye.